Good morning, brothers and sisters of grace. It is good to be with you. Uh, Our passage this morning is Luke chapter 11. Chapter 11, and we're gonna be uh, looking at verses one through 13. And uh, if, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke, uh, a long series in Luke, which is, is great. We can kind of uh, take our time through it and um, wanna give you just some context to situate this passage. Um, we have recently gotten past the part in Luke where there's a sudden shift from Jesus doing ministry, 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 and all of a sudden he has turned his face, he has set his face towards Jerusalem. This is his end game, okay? And he has set his face towards Jerusalem because he knows he has been appointed to suffer at the hands of evil men and to die on the cross, to go to the cross on behalf of humanity. But along the way, as he is going, he's been sending out his disciples ahead of him to proclaim the kingdom of God and calling all people to follow him. And so what Luke is showing us here is that Jesus is very self-aware as Israel's long-awaited Messiah. He is God's beloved son, so listen to him. Last week, Rob Lister preached on the story of Mary and Martha, uh, and that's the story where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him and receiving his instruction. And so uh, here is a, a living example of doing just that, of sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to God's beloved son. And one thing that Rob challenged uh, us with that I think was just really gives us a heads up into this passage is this. Um, The question of, are we seeking Jesus for himself and are we seeking what Jesus wants to give us? Or are we merely bringing our own agendas and asking God to bless it, as Martha did? And, And I think perhaps Luke positioned this sequence very, uh, very purposefully because I think that this teaching on prayer this morning from Jesus is just an extension of that idea. So Jesus is gonna give us a master class on prayer. He's gonna give his disciples uh, this uh, lesson, extended lesson on prayer, and so it's that to which we turn. So let's read together, uh, and then we'll pray and see what the Lord has for us. This is Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, 
Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to whom to, to, to one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. May we approach your word with renewed awe and reverence. May you be glorified through your word and in us Lord, teach us. Help us to pray. We often don't know how to pray as we ought, but we give you praise that you have given us the Holy Spirit to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, as Kenny pointed out earlier, we have this master class from Jesus, and we, we often refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. Right, and, and some of you were, maybe were a little jarred as we read through it. You had automatically that memorized form of the Lord's Prayer from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, this is the skinnier version, right? And, uh, um, but really, it's the disciples' prayer, right? This is a prayer of discipleship. And he is giving it not just to his disciples. His disciples, it says, initiated this. Hey, teach us, just like John the Baptist taught his disciples, teach us how to do that. Um, but it's not just for them, it's for us. We see the pronoun everyone at the, at the end of this passage. And so this is really the prayer for all, anyone who would be a disciple of Jesus. So let's just sketch out the layout first of, of, the, of the passage as a whole. Um, we can notice three movements here, okay? Three movements. Um, the first is where Jesus gives his disciples a pattern Okay, a pattern for prayer. And then he moves on to two analogies, two very human and kind of funny analogies, to illustrate the central principle. What is the principle that should undergird the pattern for prayer? And that principle is to ask, seek, and knock with boldness before a loving father who promises to give his children what they need most to live as disciples. And then here's the crescendo. It ends with the promise of a person. That is the Holy Spirit himself. So we're gonna see the pattern, principle, person. Let's, let's hit it as we walk through. And, and, and the question in the sermon title, you know, all of that, all of those questions are gonna get answered, right, uh, through this teaching. So, um, and by the way, th there's not gonna be any, don't listen for any specific points of application this is all application, 
right? We, we've got that, right? We've got, okay, good. We're, we're being taught how to pray, so let's, 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 let's go. Um, I listened to uh, a pastor, a uh, podcaster named Matt Whitman, uh, and he, he's been taking us uh, for a couple of years, several years now through Matthew's gospel, and he had some great things to say about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's gospel um, that I'd like to share with you. Yes, this is, the, this is a prayer for discipleship, and he puts it this way. He says, really, when you look at this, this pattern, it is a sort of prayer of fealty. That is, a prayer of allegiance to a sovereign. And why? Because Jesus is bringing in a new kingdom. And so what this prayer does is it reminds us daily what is the proper posture before the king? What's the proper posture within this kingdom and before the king. And so, as, we, as, as Kenny already mentioned, this is really the prayer of discipleship, okay? This is, uh, in, in many ways, um, more the sinner's prayer than the sinner's prayer, okay? Because it's actually directly in the Bible here. So, what is this pattern? Well, right off the bat we see we must approach God as holy, right? Father, hallowed be your name. Now, two things stick out. One, a new, an Old Testament Jewish person wouldn't blink at the idea of approaching God as holy. That much is clear in the Old Testament, right? Regarding God as holy, yes, we assume that, right? The astonishing thing, and I love the, the J.R. Packer quote from earlier, the astonishing game changer is to address this holy God as father. First, to hear this man, Jesus, praying to God, referring to him as father. I mean, that scandalized the religious leaders of the day. But to then invite his disciples to pray in the same way, wow, that, that's mind-blowing. But it's going to get better as we're, as we're going to, it's going to get more mind-blowing here as, as we move on. Because he's going to use two figures of speech or two analogies to illustrate how it is we can do this and why it is we can do this. So we approach God as holy, but we also approach God as Father. And what do we ask this holy Father for? Your kingdom come. God's kingdom comes first, right? And we've seen that in Luke's gospel. God's kingdom comes first. No one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's in chapter 10. When we come to God, our Holy Father, we are to set aside our agendas <laughs> as Martha was gently uh, rebuked by Jesus to set aside her agendas and submit to the will of our Father. What is it that God wants from me today? How do I fit into his kingdom, not how does his kingdom fit into my life, right? So we approach God as holy. We approach God as Father. We pray for his kingdom to come as the kingdom has been proclaimed and it's later gonna be unpacked more in chapter 17. But it's not just the big and the grandiose. 
Look at the next verse. We pray for our daily bread. Our Holy Father cares about our daily bread and our daily sustenance, and he wants us to live in dependence on him. Um, one, one way to translate this phrase is our bread for tomorrow. Give us this day our bread for tomorrow. And it's this idea of an uh, ongoing sustenance. It's not just I can, I can get enough bread and hoard it and then I'll be fine, okay, for a while. An, an Old Testament-y kind of audience like the disciples or anybody else eavesdropping would have heard the story of the, the manna in the wilderness, God for 40 years supplying bread from heaven to sustain his people. That's what they would have in mind. And so we need to pray that prayer of dependency on our Lord and King. It also implies spiritual sustenance too, doesn't it? Um, and it also implies, and, and here's just a, a, a fun thing to notice in Luke's gospel, and this might enrich our study, Notice how later on in Luke's gospel, Jesus is gonna unpack elements of this prayer. So he's gonna teach this pattern, but then he's gonna unpack the theology behind it. In chapter 12, verses 22 and following, he's gonna talk about not being anxious, right? Don't be anxious about what you eat or what you drink. Your father knows you need these things, right? So he gives us that, that reasoning, that impetus behind it. So third, we are to ask God to forgive us of our sins. We cannot be like the hypocrite prayer uh, in chapter 18 who prays, uh, boasts all of these things to God, says, oh God, thank you that I'm not like this, this sinner here, right? this tax collector or something like that. We all need to come as in desperate need of God's mercy. And notice, too, we come asking God's forgiveness on the assumption that we are willing to forgive others. We must be willing to forgive others from the heart. Elsewhere, Jesus is going to teach on this. Chapter 17, he's going to, to, to teach us that, it, look, if, if we cannot forgive our brother or our sister, though they come to us multiple times throughout the day, even 70 times 7, right? then we cannot be forgiven. And why is that? Because it, it's, I, I don't know that it's a works kind of uh, merit, meritorious sort of a thing. It's more the idea of this, that forgiven people forgive people. And if we don't forgive people, that's evidence that we don't really understand the gift of God that we truly haven't received the gift of God. Um, I've mentioned Matt Whitman, I, I love another phrase that he uses. He says that forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. It's the coin of the realm. It's what God gives us, but he expects us to then liberally dispense it to others. We receive grace and mercy and forgiveness and he expects that we will then liberally give that to others when they ask. So we need to come ready to forgive and in need of forgiveness. And then finally, we are to pray to avoid temptation. Lead us not into temptation. 
Father, remove the obstacles, the stumbling blocks. Chapter 17, right at the beginning, Jesus is gonna admit, yes, temptations will come, but woe to him through whom the temptations come. Woe to stumbling blocks. We should pray, Father, at the beginning of every day, I need to pray, Father, remove the stumbling blocks from my life. Show me the, way, show me the things in my way that are gonna distract me. Show me the, the tendencies, the proclivities towards sin through my flesh that so easily entangle me so that I can run the race faithfully. We should pray that daily. So, that's the pattern. And we would do well uh, to, to follow it uh, as, as often as possible. But in this second section, Jesus takes his disciples a little bit further. And this is really, I think, where the, where the master class goes. Um, in this next section, the second section of asking, seeking, and knocking, Jesus uses a couple of analogies to reveal how it is that we are to approach God as Father and how we are to regard him. And both of them illustrate this central theme, what, what I think most commentators take to be the central theme of this passage, which is to ask, seek, and knock. And they both use very human situations, right? And yet, he uses these human situations to correct our thinking on prayer um, in merely human terms, okay? We can often come to prayer thinking with human terms, right? And Jesus wants to correct that in his disciples and, and to bring in the new kingdom and the new covenant. So the cumulative point that Jesus is making from you know, the, the, the neighbor who's you know, waking you up at you know, midnight to, to, to have some bread, which by the way, this is, this is a culture where bread was hard to find sometimes. I mean, you didn't necessarily take it for granted you would get daily bread. Uh, two, hospitality was huge. This was important. If somebody came to you needing a place to say, it was just a given, you must provide them with, and three loaves was kind of the standard. Okay, um, and it was also an honor-shame culture, so if you didn't have that, wow, that's on you, and, and it's awkward all around, right? And so this guy's desperate, um, and, 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 and he needs it, right? Um, so th this is a flawed human situation, right? Um, both of these are teaching us, though, that if we can expect to get good things from flawed human beings, how much more can we expect to receive good things from the Heavenly Father? Because God is not like you or me. He is better. He is better. He is better than the people portrayed in these examples. He's not an irritated, half-awake neighbor. Have you ever thought of God that way? Have you ever thought of God, like, oh God, I don't wanna bother you. <laughs> I had a student years ago, and he was the greatest kid, he was this just amazing student, but every time he walked into my room, just about three times a week, you know, needing something and all of that, he would come into the room, he's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Twisselman, and then he would have a, a question, right? I'm sorry, Mr. Twisselman, yeah, like, sorry for bothering you. God is not like that, okay? He is not like that. Rather, the second analogy is used to correct that misconception. No, he is a loving father. 
And he's not merely a father who finds it within himself to not give his kids snakes and scorpions. Talk about a low bar, right? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> check. <laughs> My Father's Day gifts are going to come pouring in, <laughs> right? I did not give my kids a scorpion today. Um, by the way, just a little sidebar, sorry, I gotta do this. So, uh, in Matthew's gospel it says stone and serpent, but Luke says specifically uh, serpents and scorpion. Now, it, uh, he's probably giving this instruction multiple times, so he's using different words and maybe in different contexts. Did you notice, though, earlier in Luke's, in chapter 10, where we saw serpents and scorpions? They are used symbolically of the demonic realm. And Jesus has given his disciples authority even over the serpents and the scorpions to tread on them. That's kind of cool. And in the next passage, I won't, just, Kenny, I'm, he can take this up if he wants, but the next passage is about Demon, not just demon possession, but a theology of, of demon possession and how, how one deals with demons, right? So I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. But what's, back to the question of, okay, so what kind of a father do we have? We have a father who is gracious to the point where we can ask almost with the same kind of impudence Right? There's, that, there's that Greek word, and some, it might have hit weird to some of your ears. It did for me when I first read this in the ESV. I've always heard it translated persistence, right? Because of his persistence, right? That's kind of a theological choice. But, but the term is actually more like audacity, the nerve, okay? This, this guy's gonna, gonna open the door and, 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 and give him what he wants because of his, just his audacity, right? But when you think about it, the idea of approaching God as Father, and then the big crescendo here, we're gonna ask for what? That's audacious. And Jesus is saying, ask. He wants to give you that, okay? And if we've been paying attention to Luke's gospel, all along he's kind of been saying, hey, you're with me? Go big or go home. Go big or go home, and go big in prayer. I was sharing this passage uh, over evening devotions earlier this week, and uh, one of my sons asked a great question. I loved this question, because it was convicting. He asked, he says, so, Dad, when, so what, what about when we ask God for things like, that, that things will go smoothly, and they don't? We ask God that things will go smoothly, but they don't. So I was immediately convicted. I thought, who, who taught this child how to pray? It's probably on me, right? <laughs> what, but, but how often have we prayed those kinds of prayers, right? Like, oh, Lord, pray that things will go well. Things that, pray that things will go smoothly and that, you know, we're gonna do this thing. Help us to have fun. And, and it's not that God despises our leisure time. It's not that God doesn't care about those things. But again, I love the question because he was starting to see a disconnect between how we often pray and the way Jesus wants us to pray. He wants us to ask big. Because things don't always go smoothly, do they? In fact, if we're paying attention, Jesus is saying the Christian life is shaped like the cross. 
It is a long walk of suffering. Daryl Bach puts it this way, this invitation to ask, seek, and knock, it's not a blank check. It's a blank check for the things that we need to continue in our discipleship with Jesus. So do we audaciously ask for the things we need? Yes, Jesus is asking big things from us, from anyone who would follow him, but he never calls us to do anything he's not also willing to equip us to do. And so, again, let's ask audaciously for nothing less than the kingdom to come. And here's the crescendo. We're to ask for the person of the Holy Spirit. Mind blown. Put yourself again in a first century Old Testament-y context when Jesus says, pray for the Holy Spirit. The disciples probably would have thought of three people, maybe on their short list, of spirit-filled people, people who, who had the privilege of having the Holy Spirit. King David, Samson, and Elijah. David, who wrote most of the Psalms, killed, the, you know, killed Goliath, killed his tens of thousands, amazing king, man after God's own heart. Samson, superhuman strength, with the hair thing, right? But it came and went. Had some issues with women. Um, so even that was, you know, hit or miss. And then Elijah, who gets to call down fire from heaven, right? The prophets of Baal outruns a chariot. This is what the disciples are, you can imagine how audacious this does sound now. Like, wow, you're kidding, right? No, no. But in the next chapter, Jesus is gonna tell us that we actually need the Holy Spirit if we are to acknowledge him before men. And he warns against the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he says, guess what? When you are dragged into synagogues and you are asked to, you know, to give account for your belief in me, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. And let's not forget who Luke is. Luke wrote two books, and his second one is the book of Acts. And you might do this maybe in your grace group or, or, or this week. If you, if you just comb through the book of Acts, look how often the Holy Spirit is right there as the central figure. It's really the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, right? The apostles preach boldly. They speak in tongues. They work miracles. They bear up under persecution. And the Holy Spirit is present not just as an empowering force, but as God himself bearing witness to who Jesus is and using personal terms. And that's why Jesus tells his disciples, it's good that I go away. After he rose from the dead and ascended, it's good that I go away. Why? Because then you can get the Holy Spirit. And greater things than this will you do. And that promise is to us as well. 
In the next chapter, Jesus is gonna warn people against blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the unforgivable sin, so we need to pay attention to that. I'm just gonna punt to whoever's preaching on that to explain that one. Um, that, that's, that's good, but, but if, you're, if you're worried about it, don't worry, <laughs> okay? Um, it, it, it takes the Holy Spirit, I think, to be worried about that, okay? Did I, did I commit the unforgivable sin? If you care that much about offending God, I think that's evidence that the Spirit is at work. Okay. But notice that Jesus' religious adversaries are also marked by their opposition to the Spirit. Right? They persecute the prophets, and they thought that all they had to do to be right with God was follow a bunch of religious rules better than their neighbors. Their self-righteous, stiff-necked hearts were opposed to the Spirit of God. So brothers and sisters, we can't merely look at the first part of this passage and content ourselves to just recite the Lord's Prayer as a religious exercise or worse, an incantation of some kind, right? As as kind of our, our magical incantation and then pass on the work of the Spirit, okay? We can't see the Holy Spirit as just sort of bonus material on the extended DVD, okay? Like, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'll just take the base model. I, I don't need the V6. You know, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to get too crazy. Okay. No, it, it, to be a disciple of Jesus, to try to be a disciple of Jesus without the Spirit is like trying to drive a car without an engine, and there are no Fred Flintstones in the kingdom of God. (laughs) Daryl Bach puts it better. He says this. Daryl Bach, once again, he points out, he says, look, why this, this crescendo of asking for the Holy Spirit? Why is that the big audacious ask? Because it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to pray for all of the things in the disciples' prayer. This is amazing. We pray for the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit helps us pray. I need this. I need the Spirit of God to see God's holiness, to reverence his name amidst all of the noise in my life, to put his kingdom first, and to remember that even in this material world, everything material ultimately comes from his hand even the food on my table. It's the Holy Spirit who shows us our sin and convicts us and leads us to repentance and in turn helps us release the seeds of bitterness towards others and freely dispense the currency of the kingdom, which is forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And finally, as we've already sung and seen in Scripture, it's even the Holy Spirit that we need to see God as Father, to return to the top. As Paul wrote in Galatians 4, it's the Spirit. You notice that? It's the Spirit who causes us to cry, Abba, Father. As he says in 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. So friends, If you want God as your father, and who doesn't, 
If you want to inherit eternal life, the only way is by trusting in the Son, in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when? When do I ask? When do I seek? When do I knock? Today. The time to ask is when it is still called today, even if it's midnight. Even if it feels like it's too late or your sin is too big. Jesus is teaching us that the Father rewards those who earnestly seek him and he wants the best for you and the best thing he can give you is himself. He wants to welcome us all into his glorious kingdom. And we're going to see both the urgency of this and yet the loving patience of God in the coming chapters in Luke's gospel. Just three quick examples. We're gonna see it in the, in the uh, figure of the fig tree, the object lesson of the fig tree that Jesus, he's about to curse it because he hasn't seen any, any figs on it um, and, but he's gonna give it just a little longer right? I want to see fruit. We're going to see it. That's in chapter 13. We're going to see it in the great banquet in chapter 14. And we're going to see it in the parable of the prodigal son in chapter 15. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants to fill his house with sons and daughters. And he desperately, desperately wants his wayward children to come home. He is not the dad who, when you've done something horrible, like when we broke the side mirror to the minivan by driving in reverse through the Taco Bell drive-thru, <laughs> dad's gonna kill us. Correction, dad's gonna kill you. You were driving. Yeah, but you thought it was a good idea. <laughs> You're the oldest. He is the father who would say, oh, this is a problem. We need dad. He's our first call. And those, who, those of us who know, who know this Jesus, Let's continue to walk in him. Let's all be filled with his spirit so that we can walk and keep in step with the spirit, putting on the fruit of the spirit and accomplish the work he has for us until he returns. As 1 Corinthians 12 all the way through 14 teaches on spiritual gifting, the reason the Holy Spirit pours out spiritual gifts to his church, it's to build his people. It's to build his church. So, I can't think of a better way to end this message than to pray. So let's pray this prayer. But here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray a line and just pause and, and give us all time to absorb it and pray in our hearts as well. Let's, let's align our hearts and minds to what God wants for us through his spirit. Something that uh, 
another commentator pointed out is that notice that this pattern of prayer, all of the pronouns are us and we and our. This is corporate. And there's implications for individuality later, further down, but this is, this is corporate prayer. This is good for us. So let's pray together. Father, hallowed be your name. Would some of you just pray out loud, praise God for his holiness. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. We pray that your kingdom come. Pray now quietly about that. Seek God's kingdom in your heart. Think about, think about our own plans. And let's ask, what is what are God's plans this week? What does God want from us?
Father, I think of the plans we have even this month, Lord, for Adventure Week. Lord, we lay this at your feet, this, this great work that we, we want to do. Help us to see this as part of your kingdom, Lord. May your kingdom come even within this ministry, Lord, that you would bring more and more disciples to you, these precious children. Empower us to do your work. And Lord, give us each day our daily bread. Give us what we need. Forgive us our sins, Lord. They are many. Help us to forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And Father, lead us not into temptation. Remove the barriers and the obstacles in our way. Let's just pause for a few moments of silence for these last requests. I want to give everyone time to just pray to the Father, just to yourself about those those things, those special needs for God's sustenance, his forgiveness, and his assistance in temptation. Go ahead and pray to yourself. Finally, Holy Spirit, there are so many things we could pray, so many things to pray, and we don't know how to pray. Help us. Help us as we go from this place. Show us the places where we need to confess sin and we need to guard against temptation. Show us the places where we need to trust you. Empower us to do your will, Lord. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room who does not yet know Jesus, Holy Spirit, please lead them Lead them forward to pray and receive the Lord Jesus and to follow him. Lord, we pray all of these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.